mean advice is don't shortchange Teton. Um, and it's funny because you, Jeremy, that was like exactly when we went, you were like, oh my gosh, I th- I feel like Teton gets like the short end of the stick, right? Like when people are planning, when people are talking about the national parks, you were like, it's like a, a sidebar to Yellowstone, right? When it's really like the main event <laughs> in a lot of ways. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next? Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks. And Where Should We Camp Next? Budget Camping. This year, we are celebrating the 10th anniversary of the RV Atlas podcast, which launched its very first episode in September of 2014. We hope you join us as we cover the best campgrounds, the best RVs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go. So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire. This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the RV Atlas. And today we are doing something brand new, and I'm so excited that we're doing it. We're going to start doing some Q&A podcasts where we answer questions from the RV Atlas group on Facebook and we read answers from other group members because there's so many great questions in the group, all great for discussion. This was Stephanie's idea. I love it. I'm so excited to do it for the first time. Credit to Stephanie and welcome to the show, Stephanie. How are you? Oh, thank you so much, Jeremy, for welcoming me to the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you finally agreed to my idea after a bit of time. It took a while for me to warm up to it, but I think it's a great idea. So we're going to just keep these short. Today, we're going to cover three questions from three RV Atlas listeners in the Facebook group. We're going to talk about a question about Grand Teton and Yellowstone National Parks and like how to plan a trip to those two parks because everyone's in trip planning mode. There's a lot of questions in the group right now about like how to do a trip to Great Smokies, how to do a trip to Yellowstone. Um, So kind of that's the theme today. Then we're going to answer a second question about beach camping on the East Coast. And then a third question about how to handle a trip where you fly somewhere and then camp, because it's actually something that we've done many, many times over the years. And a lot of people in our group are doing that, too. So we're going to dive into these questions. But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Yogi Bears Jellystone Park Camp Resorts. Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for over 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique, but our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides, tie-dye, and movie nights. They even have themed events like Chocolate Lovers Weekend, Christmas in July, and Halloween weekends in the fall. Of course, we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their glamping accommodations, as many locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons, and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2024, because it's not just a campground, it's Jellystone Park. To book your vacation today, visit jellystonepark.com. That's jellystonepark.com. And don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Let's take question one. And this is from Craig Welsh. And this is his question, Um, trying, and this is directly from the RV Atlas group on Facebook, 
Craig writes, trying to figure out what the lesser of the two evils is. We are in the process of planning booking a Northern National Parks trip for August of this year. I'm not sure what the best option is for Teton and Yellowstone. Do I do either one central campground like Headwaters Campground and hit both parks for the week or two separate campgrounds like Culture Bay for Teton and Yellowstone Grizzly for Yellowstone, spending three or four days each? Also, if you have a more preferred campground, let me know. So the essence of the question is, do I do one campground as a base camp for both Yellowstone and Grand Teton, or do I split it into two different campgrounds, two different base camps, one for each national park? So Stephanie, how did some of our listeners respond? Yeah, so Ron responded that he had been there four times, and he said, main advice is don't shortchange Teton. Um, And it's funny because you, Jeremy, that was like exactly when we went, you were like, oh my gosh, I I feel like Teton gets like the short end of the stick, right? Like when people are planning, when people are talking about the national parks, you were like, it's like a, a sidebar to Yellowstone, right? When it's really like the main event. I think a <laughs> lot of ways. when people do these big national park trips and string together a bunch of parks out west, I think a common mistake is to do like one day in South Dakota and uh, yeah. one day in Grand Teton and, and do Yellowstone. I like Teton better. I like Grand Teton better. I'm not sure if you did. I did. A lot of people that go end up like in Grand Teton National Park better. I've heard that so many times. So I do feel like it's a big mistake to just like spend less time in Teton and shortchange it. So, you know, Ron's answer was like what a lot of people answered. Yeah. So Ron definitely said do campgrounds in both parks. Right. Then he also added to make Old Faithful your number one spot. uh, Stop. Watch her erupt a few times, then go see Yellowstone. Right. It's a big place with lots to see. Check out the Northeast Entrance Road. Reminds us of Trail Ridge Road in Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, Eric Anderson concurred with what a lot of the advice was. Right due to campgrounds. He said, when we spent a couple of weeks there, we did a combination of West Yellowstone and Grant Campground and then Coulter Bay down in Tetons. Um, and he said, yeah, Yellowstone is huge. Um, and then some people were like, you know, giving him some advice on whether he was even going to be able to get spots right at this time of the year. But we'll leave that as a sidebar because that's not really um, evergreen well, no, right let, information. Let, oh, let you want to mention? Yeah, I just do want to comment that somebody said Tracy Barracks Phelps said, uh, "Oh, is it too late to plan this year? Maybe a six month window." Um, and actually, a lot of people are booking for Grand mm-hmm. Teton right now and booking for national parks right now that have a six month window. Cause I think that puts you in August, July or August. Right. Um, so some people in the group are like, Oh, you're too late. You can't plan a trip now. And then I think he responded and said, no, this is my window. This is when yeah. I, I do book. And there were lots of other responses. We're only reading some of the responses, but literally every person said, do two campgrounds, mm-hmm. split your time. Don't shortchange Teton. And don't try to use one campground as a base camp for both national parks, even though they're only, what, half an hour apart, Stephanie? Yeah, so I responded to this um, basically like, look, you could use a quote unquote central campground to explore Teton and southern Yellowstone. Like, yes, they're so close. And yes, if you're looking at the stuff in that lower Yellowstone loop, which includes like Old Faithful, right, then 
yeah, you could stay somewhere. But if you're going to be going to some of the places in northern Yellowstone, um, you are going to be driving so long from down at some sort of central location in between Teton and Yellowstone, southern Yellowstone. Like you're I mean, when I say so long, I mean hours to get could be three hours, three hours back and six hours of driving. Yeah, like Easy, Lamar easily. Valley, right, and stuff like that. I mean, we stayed, um, so we stayed in West Yellowstone um, and in Coulter Bay. Those were our two places that we stayed. Um, and when we stayed in West Yellowstone, it was still, like, we didn't go to East Yellowstone, like that Northeast part, like Lamar Valley. We didn't do that until we were headed out of Yellowstone via that route because it would have been such a long day of driving for us to get there and back in one day. So that's just one of the trickiest parts of your Yellowstone planning is figuring out what you're going to see and when you're going to see it to make it work with all of the driving. That's part of the fun of planning. But I do want to extend this past just the idea of Yellowstone and Teton because we've done a lot of national park trips where we've stayed, Smokies is another example of this, where we've moved to multiple campgrounds at different parts. We've done this in um, Acadia National Park. Glacier. We, we do it, yeah, we do it a lot, actually. And it, we found that we love it. It works really well for us because instead of trying to find that spot where then you're like driving longer and longer outside of it every day to get to the other section of the park you wanted to see, we just really enjoy exploring one whole area and then we move and we explore the other whole area. I don't think we've ever done this and not liked it. I think that this like is generally worked out really well for us. Well, and I like to see more than one campground, which I think a lot right. of RV yeah. owners want to check out two campgrounds, but then some people don't want to set up and, and break mm-hmm. down twice. But but go back to Craig's original question, the idea to do Coulter Bay for Teton and Yellowstone yeah. Grizzly in West Yellowstone for Yellowstone, I think is I think Craig's got the perfect he'll idea. Be, he'll be super happy at both of those campgrounds, 100%. Yeah, and then he responded at the end and said, this is exactly why this group is my go-to, me and <laughs> the RV Atlas group. Thank you, Craig. Provide a question and get great feedback. Thank you, yeah, guys. And, and no cranky answers in between. Somebody, you know. Oh, there was like one cranky answer, but I left it out. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. So let's move on to Shire's question. Shire's someone we've met, and she um, was in my show, Six Things I Love About My RV. So her question was this. Jumping in for another question for those who fly to a destination to camp. And Shire's an RV owner. How is it? Do you bring a ton of stuff? I honestly never camped in a cabin and don't think I would have to bring a ton, but we are overprepared campers when loading up the travel trailer and have so much backup. This feels weird to only bring a suitcase camping. We, over the years, we've been very honest with our RV Atlas audience. We love to fly and camp. And that sometimes has meant cabins. That sometimes has meant glamping. That sometimes has meant renting RVs, Mm -hmm. but as RV owners, we are so used to having all of our stuff with us that it is kind of like disorienting. Like, what do I need to bring and what do I not need to bring? And Stephanie, you've written about this in our books. So what, what advice would you, would you give? And then a few answers from our audience. Yeah, you do have to shift out of RV mode. You really do. If, if you're going to be doing this. And, And I think this is a great way, you know, when we first did our first fly and cabin camp trip uh the northwest right was our first time we did this and you know of course you get the same some of the cranky responses like oh the journey is the whole point and you're just skipping over the journey okay well 
we have kids with school schedules and we have work schedules. So the journey out there of weeks crossing country with an RV from New Jersey would not give us time to explore the place we actually wanted to see. So it's just, this is like, yes, life gets in the way of your, you know, wildest dreams about what the perfect scenario is. So I actually think that more RVers who really love camping and love RVing should embrace this as a way to get to the places that you want to see that would take too long to tow. And let me tell you something, crunch the numbers because it's more expensive to drive days with your RV and pay for the gas and pay for the stops over it than it is to fly. I'll I'll put, you know, money down on that every time. <laughs> and in terms of knowing what to pack, um, we've talked a lot about this over the years too. If you're go if you're flying and doing a cabin, that cabin rental should tell you what is provided and mm -hmm. what is not provided. Do not fly somewhere and show up at a cabin not knowing if they're going to have linens. And well, don't assume they're going to have linens. Some do and some we don't. we did one time fly with linens very oh early God. on. I don't, I don't remember if, that. So I think it was when we were going down to Florida and we had an RV that we knew wasn't going to be because we were at the Florida RV show and somebody was providing an RV for us and we knew that there wasn't going to be linens. And I packed a duffel bag of blankets and sheets. It was just like, what am I doing? And no, we'll never do this again. I learned the, <laughs> the lesson. And now we only stay in places. And we also look for other things, not just linen packages, right? We look for places that have- Coffee makers. Right. Equipment that we want right in the kitchen. But we also look for places that have bike rentals or bikes to use, right? Or kayak rentals or th things that we are used to having in our RV that we miss when we travel without it. We look for places that provide those things for us. And the rental and who you, whoever you're renting from should provide the information. KOA is going to tell you what comes with it, what costs extra, what they don't have. Jellystone should as well. Some places don't come with linens, but you pay an extra 20 bucks a night and you can do a linens package. If it's glamping and they're not providing you linens, then it's not glamping. Okay. Like, and, seriously. And sometimes this is why we chose an RV rental instead of a cabin rental. Do you remember when we went to North Dakota, one of, uh, South Dakota? One of the issues was that a lot of the campgrounds that we wanted to stay at, they had cabins, but they were rustic cabins, um, like in Custer State Park. And we just couldn't get the accommodations that we would have wanted to get. Um and stay at campgrounds. And we really want to stay at campgrounds. That like works well for our family. So in that case, it was better for us to pick up an RV, rent the RV, and to take that on our trip so we could stay at all the campgrounds. So we really make our decisions around the accommodations that are available. And I just had a memory. Like if you rent an RV from RV Share, um, the renter it should list what comes with the RV. It, it should mm -hmm. be in the description. If not, ask. And the RV we rented didn't come with camp chairs. And I remember telling her saying, oh, we're not going to have camp chairs with us. Is there any chance you have camp chairs? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I can throw in a few camp chairs. So if you're if you're flying and renting an RV, you want to have good communication back and forth and make sure that you're going to have everything you need when you show up. But I think flying and camping is a great option because like Stephanie said, you have a week's vacation in the summer and you're on the East Coast, you're not going to drive to Yellowstone with your RV and then drive back. You'd have like a day in Yellowstone, right? Yeah. I also want to add one more thing for Shire. Like Shire, think about going to RV Share and think about seeing if there's somebody who, like if there's a campground you want to stay at, get an RV delivered. Like, Good point. 
I stayed like, so I did this a lot over the last couple of years for some various projects I was doing for work, for video. I'm telling you, we stayed in enormous fifth wheels at a campground that were completely outfitted with everything we wanted. So that's a really cool option too um, that I have to remind almost Jeremy of uh, sometimes when we're talking about going places. I'm like, let's just have him drop an RV. It's really affordable in a lot of cases. Great. Rob responded, we did a fly-in camp over winter break. We brought nothing with with us and hit the local publics for everything when, when they arrived. We tried to buy minimal amounts, but ended up with extras. If I were at an Airbnb, we would have tossed most everything out. But because we were at a campground, we made some acquaintances to offload the extra groceries. Um, things such as water bottles, laundry, soap, eggs, foil, etc. That's so cool. So they did all their grocery shopping, which maybe they didn't gauge correctly, bought too much. Yeah. But then they gave stuff away. And we try Uh, to minimize that because that is a temptation when you're used to stocking up the RV to buy too much mustard and ketchup and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like, do I need a whole ketchup bottle for this (laughs) week's vacation or whatever? (laughs) JP, our friend for many, many years, JP wrote, we camped in New Zealand and Europe. The New Zealand was a rental and supplied everything we needed except food and toiletries. Uh, In Europe, we purchased a car and caravan in England and scoured charity shops for our necessities. I think he means that they rented one. I don't think he actually I don't purchased know. one. Some people, but maybe he did. Maybe he did. Are you kidding? Do you know Europeans come over to America all the time and buy things and then sell them at the end of their trip? Like it's a it, it, it's a thing that Europeans do. So or they even ship over their stuff. Yeah. So I'll ask JP. He did okay. tons of that. Those kind of European trips. Okay. Yeah. So our last um, question is from Ashley Ann. Our last question for this mini podcast episode, Ashley Ann wrote, uh, I'm looking for a shady campground close to a beach and shops on the East Coast. Sounds pretty good Mm, to me. I know. Uh, Now, let's let's just go through some of the answers here because there's so many good ones and then we can throw in some extras. Craig Welsh. And by the way, thank you, Craig, for answering because you're the person that asked the question, the other question. So you're being a very good group member. He says, if you're into Virginia, Sun Outdoors Cape Charles, which used to be Cherry Stone, it's right on the Chesapeake Bay. Nice campground with a private beach and pier. We've stayed twice and enjoyed it very much. And Stephanie, we've really enjoyed that Cape Charles Virginia yes, area. It's a really cute area. There's so much to do there, really. Um, and I like it better than the Virginia Beach hustle and bustle and everything. So we like it there a lot. Agree. And then there's also a KOA up the road from that campground that used to be Cherry Stone. But, and we like that campground very much. Yeah. But it does not have shade. So oh, it doesn't. Yeah. So be careful because then you're not really reading the question closely. <laughs> yeah, but then Cherry Stone. Yeah, but you're told, Stephanie, you're totally right. Mm-hmm. But then that, uh, what used to be Cherry Stone, Sun Outdoors, yeah. uh, Cape Charles, um, does, have, does shade. have shade. And so the, ma- um, and the um, state park that's right next to. Which I'm um, forgetting the of name of. K- K- it's K- Kipapita. K- K- it's Kip- some funny. Kipitka. But we'll it's right it next the to the KOA. You have to put it in the show notes. Okay. I will. Yes, it's right next door and it does have shade. Yeah. Samantha Wilmot said Beachcomber in Cape May, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, Cape May is a great choice. You're not on the right on the beach, but you are close to the beach. And then downtown Cape May is close. And Stephanie, over the years, mm-hmm. we've loved a lot of campgrounds in Cape May for this yeah. very reason. Shade near the beach and shopping and restaurants. We love, yeah, and somebody else said Seashore Campsites, um, which is now Sun uh, Retreat Seashore, or Sun Outdoors Cape May, or who knows? <laughs> so no, I, I, no, 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 it's so funny that you just got confused because it's confusing. So we used to go to Seashore Campsites, yes. which we loved, which is now called Sun Retreats Seashore. 
We also used to go to Holly Shores, oh, which we Holly loved, Sh- which is all, which is now called Sun Outdoors Cape May, <laughs> and like the sun, everything's Sun Outdoors on the East Coast now. And it's I like know. the names start to. I still call it Holly Shores and the Seashore Great Campsite. Consolidation. And if you do talk to people that have been camping for the last decade or more, we all call all these campgrounds what they were prior to being Sun properties. Just FYI, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And thankfully, when you Google search them, they still come yeah, up. Yeah, they right. have the, all the redirects set up, so they know. <laughs> Kevin, no, I love this next um, yeah. recommendation for the Myrtle Beach KOA because it's exactly why we love the Myrtle Beach KOA, especially when the kids were younger and we wanted more of that shade environment and not that open beach kind of environment. So the Myrtle Beach KOA has beautiful shade, but I would also say that so does the Myrtle Beach State Park. I think the Myrtle Beach State Park is so sweet, um, so shady, so nice and lovely. Really good options for Myrtle Beach. Yeah. So Kevin said Myrtle Beach KOA Resort, the upper level, totally shaded, a couple blocks away from the beach, best ever. We've camped here five times over the years and our family loved it. The only reason we stopped going was because we just wanted to try other places in Myrtle Beach. Then like Stephanie said, Myrtle Beach State Park, the KOA is right in town. You can yeah. literally walk mm-hmm. to restaurants. Myrtle Beach State Park's a bit, a little well, bit no, of a drive. Because Myrtle Beach State Park is like kind of across, really close to that other little shopping, new shopping district in oh, South yeah. Myrtle Beach yeah, that has like all bike. the restaurants and the movie theater and everything like that. So it is kind of close to stuff like that if you want it. And then Courtney recommended Cape um, Henlopen State Park in Delaware. Yes, this is a lovely shaded campground. Um, as opposed to what's the name of the other Delaware State Park that's a little more Delaware Seashore. Open. Seashore is more open no and shade. exposed. No shade. You don't yeah, want to Cape do that. Henlopen, the state park is on the beach. The campground itself is not directly on the beach. And then the town of Lewis is nearby and has cute restaurants, cute mm-hmm. coffee, cute shopping, surf shops, all that stuff. So Cape Cape Henlopen's a great answer for this. Brian Winter says Sandy Pines Campground yes. is one of his New England favorites. And true. We went there three times, I Lots think. Lots of shade. A bike ride to the beach, but I prefer the drive because I don't really like the road that you have to bike on. It feels like narrow and a little busy. But yes, you can, you're really close to um, the beach right there. Um, and then Kenny Bunkport, right? Lots of little shops, lobster rolls, et cetera, is right near there. Oh, and you added in some of our, our other favorites. Which I add? did. So like Atlantic Oaks, uh, we love Atlantic Oaks, Atlantic Oaks on Cape Cod. And it's in Eastham, which I, Eastham doesn't necessarily have like a downtown, but it's certainly a town with shopping and restaurants. And you can ride your bike to get food, ride your bike to get coffee. Uh, and there's lots of cute little towns in Cape May or Cape, yeah, Cod, Cape Cod to drive yeah. to. And then we also and then Provincetown is like, I think, half an hour away from Atlantic Oaks on Cape Cod. And then the last one that came to mind for me, uh, James Island County Park in Charleston is actually a short drive to beautiful beaches. I think it's actually technically in Charleston, though it's it's not downtown Charleston. It's a very short drive into downtown Charleston for all the food and all the shops you want Mm -hmm. and beautiful beaches near Charleston. Some people don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's that's one of our favorites for sure. That is a fantastic list. Honestly, really, Jeremy, you should probably turn that into a (laughs) blog post on the RV Atlas for shady beach campgrounds on the East Coast. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And we got tons of good recommendations. So many good recommendations. That's why I love the RV Atlas group. And if she had just said, 
campgrounds near the beach with shops. Then there's all these other ones that don't have shade. <laughs> right. We won't go right. into that now. No, but that's why this you is know. a very great – this is a really great list. And it's so funny because um, obviously we're beach campers because we've been to all of them. <laughs> I know. And, and if you go to the RV Atlas group and find this post – there's even more recommendations. We're not getting to all of them. So that wraps up this week's Q&A session with Stephanie and Jeremy. That was so much fun. There will be show notes for this on the RVAtlas.com. And if you're not in the RV Atlas group, come on. Like, why yeah. not? It's the friendliest RV group out it's there. The, we don't, it's no cranks one allowed. of the only worthwhile things on Facebook. So <laughs> there are there are many people who have told me over the years that they, the only reason they have a Facebook profile is yeah. to be in the RV Atlas group. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, sorry. we'll see you. We'll see you all at the shady campground near the beach I'll and be close there. to shops. I'll Absolutely. be there too. See you there. Thank you so much for joining us for the 10th anniversary season of the RV Atlas. To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to the RVAtlas.com. And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas. And if you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And make sure to pick up copies of Where Should We Camp Next, wherever books are sold. And we will see you at the campground.